Um, youth, you're staying with us, hanging out right here with us today. Um, if you would, please stand with me and grab your swords and open them up to Acts chapter 6. Your swords being your Bibles. In the youth, we've been studying the book of Acts, and I just felt led to continue with that study. Um, and we will be reading the entire chapters, verses 1 through 15. Starting in verse 1, Acts chapter 6. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying blessed the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that it would just take deep root in our hearts, Lord, in our minds, and that it would grow within us, Lord, so that we can draw close to you. Lord, you love us more than we could ever imagine or ever know, Lord. And so I just pray, God, that we would just be at the foot of the cross today, Lord, just waiting upon what you have to share and speak to us to learn. I pray that you would just keep us from all distractions, Lord, that we would be able to focus on your word, Heavenly Father, let your Holy Spirit lead every word that comes out of my mouth, Lord, so that you are honored and glorified and that you are praised. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Please sit. Thank you very much. So, in the book of Acts, I love this book written by Dr. Luke. He's the author of the book of Acts. It's a powerful account, powerful account of the pouring out and the filling of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples of Jesus Christ. And this pouring out of the Holy Spirit enabled them to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach the word of God with power and authority. 
to speak in tongues and perform great signs and wonders. And this pouring out and filling of the Holy Spirit, it led to the conversion and the salvation of thousands. It starts off with 3,000, 5,000. After that, Dr. Luke just gives up. He just says, multiplied, added, because so many are being changed and converted to Christianity. And as a result, we see the formation and birth of the early church. The early church starts here. And it's a beautiful, beautiful account. It gives us the blueprint, if you will, of how a church should be. Led by the Holy Spirit. The things that we should do. From leadership all the way down. And it's a beautiful, beautiful account. If, if you get a chance, read chapter 2 in the book of Acts. Because I believe that it sets the tone for the entire book. Let me read a couple of verses in that chapter. This is uh, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. It reads, And they, referring to the body of believers, the disciples of Jesus Christ, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, agape feast, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And all of this is a result of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the obedience of the apostles. And this is going to transcend through the book of Acts. And we're going to read how God is going to raise up Paul and other men. And they're going to go out and they're going to share the gospel. How Jesus instructed them in Acts 1.8. He said, I'm going to give you guys the Holy Spirit, man. You guys just wait here for a couple of days. I'm going to pour the Holy Spirit out on you guys. And you guys are going to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we're going to see that through the book of Acts everything that Jesus said. You know, going through these first five chapters, there was a recurring uh, neon sign, if you will, to me. Just kept bouncing out these words. These words kept bouncing out. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Led and filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that our church today? Is that us individually? Are we led? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit in everything that we do? The other thing was prayer and the word of God. Are we in prayer? Is the word of God the most important thing in our lives? Is this the foundation of this church? Is this what the body is experiencing and growing in? And the last thing is one accord and one heart. Hawaiian word for family is ohana. And that means everything. That means everything, man, back home. Tightness of the family, man. We're together. Bloodline. I'm going to take care of you no matter what. I got your back. What do you need? Come eat. You look hungry. Let's eat. You know? Some of you guys don't talk about you're all smiling. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got some of those grandmas in our family too. But these are all perfect ingredients for a believer and the church body to grow in. And I love that. In the events that just transpired in chapter 5, just to bring you up to chapter 6, it reads about the account of the apostles. And what was happening was they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were out there healing, doing these marvelous miracles and signs, preaching the word of God. People were being saved. And then you have the Jewish religious leaders, the ones that crucified Jesus. They got jealous. They didn't like that. Because everybody was running to who? These apostles. 
by the thousands, they were being saved. And these Jewish leaders didn't like that because it was all about me. IGM, I got mine, baby. That's what they were worried about. And they were jealous of the apostles. And so they go and they arrest them. They put them in jail. An angel comes, frees them. They go back to the temple, continue to preach the word of God. And then they're brought back to the Jewish council. And while they're in, the, in, in front of the Jewish council, they're threatened and they're beaten. And they're told, you know what? You guys better stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And as the apostles are leaving, they're walking out, man. They're praising God because they got beat down for his name. Man, they were happy. They're walking out of that place bloody, all beaten up, but they're happy because they suffered for the name of Jesus Christ. And like I showed the youth, they're probably walking out going, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus, it's his name. Just happy. Walking out of there, you know, that was their hearts. And they immediately returned to the temple and the homes to preach and teach Jesus as the Christ. Which brings us up to chapter 6 where we are today. I've titled today's teaching, Where Has God Placed You? Two areas in our lives that we read about here. Within the church body, are we called to serve in the church body? And if we are, and you have a role, and you've been called to serve in this capacity, how do you do it? How do you do it? What is the word of God, this, uh, this example that we're going to read, can share and teach us? The second thing is outside of the church body, meaning your personal lives. When we leave this building, when we leave this place, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we living for Christ? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we in prayer and the word of God? Are we of one accord? We are given a glimpse of both of these areas in our lives as an example how to operate and grow within a church body and outside of it, meaning our daily lives. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So we read that the church body is continuing to grow, multiplying. Beautiful word, multiplying. The Lord added. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And this is taking place. A problem arises within the church between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Now, the Hellenists, these were Jews that spoke Greek and adopted the Grecian culture. They were from the surrounding areas. And the Hebrews were Jews that were the locals, if you will. They were immersed in the Hebrew culture who spoke Aramaic. Now, the Hellenists felt that their widows at that time were being shortchanged regarding monies and provisions that was provided by the church compared to the Hebrews. And it started to cause a division in the church body. Now remember that we read in chapter 2 that the believers sold their possessions and gave to anyone amongst them as they had need. So they were doing that, man. One accord, one body, one heart. But somewhere along the line, that seemed to stop to some degree. And that causes a problem here within the church. You know, you we look at the environment of the church right now, meaning the people and what's going on. You have the original disciples of Jesus Christ amongst you, excluding Judas. They replaced Judas with Matthias. You have the pouring out and the filling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, like free refills at Costco. It's nonstop. You keep going up and getting some more. 
You see miracles. You see signs. You see wonders. You see all of these beautiful things that are happening. And yet, there's a problem here in the church. You know, some would think that this is church utopia. This is the perfect environment. I want to go to that church because I know that I'm going to be happy. Nothing bad is going to happen there. You kidding me? You got Peter up in this place. He's the man. You know, I've heard of people saying, man, you know what? We got to go. No, let's go to this church. Uh, No, you know what? Let's go to another church. And they say, you know what, man? I'm searching for the perfect church. You know what? I say, if you find it, keep driving. Don't walk in because as soon as you walk in, it's not going to be perfect anymore. And I say that to myself as well. I exhort myself. Only Jesus Christ is perfect. You're going to experience problems. And it's as a church body, one accord, one heart, how we move through that, how the leadership, how the people in charge of ministries, how they come together and move through that through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we got to do. Ohana, let's get together. Lock elbows, baby. Let's be a family. So a problem arises nonetheless, as it does in today's church, and we get the opportunity to learn how it's addressed. Verse 2, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. First off, I love the fact that the apostles validate that there was a problem. They validate that there was a problem and it needed to be addressed. That showed wisdom and discernment. Because many times you hear complaints and things going on in the church body. And you know what? Many times it's just me. Or it's just one-sided. But they took the time to validate that there was a problem. Secondly, they they communicated directly to the people involved that the problem affected. That was a part of this. The multitude of the disciples, which was the church, to acknowledge that there is a problem. And it's going to be addressed. We're going to pray about this and we're going to address this. Third thing, they establish their position in this matter from the start. They say, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And if you read that, you can kind of mis- misinterpret that. You know, kind of think, that, oh man, who are these guys? You know, they got some attitude. It's not that. This service was not beneath them. If you remember... When Jesus fed the thousands, both accounts, who was there collecting all the leftovers in the baskets? The disciples. They weren't afraid to do this, and they did do it. The calling in their lives at this specific time was preaching and teaching the word of God. You see, the church was growing by the thousands, and they needed to hear and learn from the word of God. And the apostles were sensitive to that, and they felt the leading of the Holy Spirit in that. And that's why they said this. You know, I have a friend of mine. He just started this year a tackle youth football team in Mountain House. And uh, I was talking with him the other day, and man, he is just stretched to the thinnest. He's doing everything. He's in charge of the facilities, getting the... Form signed, getting, making sure all the equipment is there, the players, the parents, the payment, you know, even the cheerleaders, you know, all of this. He's doing all of this. But you know what? As time passes by and the season progresses, he's going to need people to take over some of this stuff. 
He's going to have to appoint people to oversee these things so that he can focus on what he is strong in, and that is coaching these kids. That's his strength. But for this time, he needs to do all of these things. I mean, could you just imagine in the middle of the game, close game, fourth quarter, it's tied, 30 seconds left, the quarterback runs to the sideline. Coach, what do we do? Coach, what do we Hey, where's the coach? Anybody see the coach? And everybody's looking around and, and, hey, oh, there he is. And everybody looks over and he's by the cheerleaders and he's telling them, hey, the cheer goes, we want a touchdown. Where? Over there. <laughs> what was it? No. No, 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 no. Coach, get, get, get over here. We need you here. This is your time to shine. This is what you are called to do. And just like the apostles, you know, this was their time to shine, to focus on the word of God, because that was the most important thing right now in this specific time. And you know, some pastors have a hard time with that. They really do, because they have a heart and they want to do all these other things. And sometimes they just need to let it go, because God will raise people, men, women, to do that, to come alongside them so that they can do what they're called to, so that Pastor Pat can do what he's called to. Look with me in verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles provide instructions to the body of believers, and they tell them, hey, find seven men from among you. What awesome godly counsel this is. I mean, think about it. You know, they didn't seek men from the outside. They didn't seek someone who wasn't aware of what's going on, wasn't sensitive to the church body, didn't know the needs and everything that was going on behind closed doors, if you will. They're instructed to choose from amongst them people that they knew, that they rubbed elbows with. You know, it's... It's like growing up in, in elementary during recess time. One of the favorite games that we used to play is Red Rover, Red Rover. I don't know if you guys play that. Kids, youth, Red Rover, Red Rover. No? Man. Oh, thank you. Thank you right there. Woo, I must be old. But anyway, Red Rover, Red Rover was you got these, all my classmates, right? And we're, and we're together Monday through Friday. So we know. We know each other. You know? Yeah, you know. And so we go outside, okay, Red Rover, Red Rover, we're going to split up. So we make two, you know, two sections. You have one line here, one line here, and everybody's joining hands or they're joining elbows. And you yell, Red Rover, Red Rover, send so-and-so right over. And the whole idea was that if they run and they break through that link that you got, you lost. But if you laid them out, meaning that they couldn't break that link, they were part of your link now. And that was the game. And you know what? No matter what side you were on, teams could be mixed up. But because they knew each other, you knew who was going to call. If we were to split this room right now and play Red Rover, Red Rover, and I was on this side, we're all going to talk, okay, who are we going to call over? I would, oh, let's call Mary. There's no way I'm going to call Ken. I'm going to call Paul or Kelly because they will snap our arms. Why? Because they know. We know. They're strong. They're animals. You know? And so that's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. 
Also, they were teaching the body how to be fruit inspectors amongst themselves. And you know, we need to do that as well in this church body. Fruit inspectors. Well, what are we inspecting? What are you talking about, fruit inspectors? Galatians 5.22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Beautiful things because the Spirit of God lives in you. Now fruit needs to grow. A fruit just doesn't appear. A fruit needs to be in the vine from the branch. That's where the fruit grows. Are we plugged into that? Are we growing? Is there fruit coming from our lives? What kind of fruit are you bearing right now in your walk with Christ? If they're to say, okay, everybody, let's line up fruit inspection. Can people go, oh, that's a big apple. Man, that's some fruit. That's some fruit. Can they? And these seven men needed to possess the following characteristics. I love this because it's all characteristics from the heart. Good reputation. And reputation, I mean, this transcends from here. I mean, this is in all social arenas of our life. In your home, at work. So if we were to go to your job or we were to go to your house and we will say, okay, ma'am, talk to us about your husband. Sit down. How much time do you have? What would they say? What would your kids say? What would your coworkers say? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. You want to know about him? Man, he's the life of the party. That's my boy. What are they going to say? Good reputation. Second thing, full of the Holy Spirit. Not half full or just enough for Sundays, just enough to get by so that you can look holy on Sundays or at Bible study. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And that's the application of the knowledge of the Word of God. And you look at these, and these are the requirements for table servants. Table servants. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And you know, this shouldn't deter us, but this should motivate us. Because you look at this and you go, man, there's no way I can serve. These are the requirements for people who serve tables. But we need to look deeper than that because these men grew into these characteristics. God set them apart for this specific time, for this specific calling. You know, he looks at our hearts and what's inside. He knows what he's getting. Look at me. It still blows my mind that God's using me. I say, are you serious, God? You got the wrong cat. And he says, no, no, no. I know what I'm getting. Just sit there and just keep your eyes fixed on me. And that's what he wants so that we can serve. You know, this morning... I walked in, came in early this morning, and Pat's granddaughter was, she's seven years old. And she's out there on the front door on her knees, spraying the windows and wiping the windows, cleaning all the windows on the front door. And I was carrying something, and I'm walking, and she sees me with her big blue eyes, and she gets up, and she goes to the door, and she opens the door for me. I said this morning, 
told Pastor Ruba, I go, man, I want a heart like that. You know, where I don't need to be this, this, this um, person who's, you know, gone to seminary school or, or done all of these things. I just need to be on my knees before God so that I can be usable. That's all it is. So once these seven men were to be chosen by the church, the apostles would make the final decision with their approval and appoint them over this service. And this just validates their responsibility as the leaders of the church. It does. Because there is order in the church, and we see that here. Because they, right now, are ultimately responsible for the flock of what happens. It falls and it lands on their shoulders. Please, in humility, keep the leadership in prayer. Keep Pastor Pat in prayer. And while the seven are being chosen, the apostles say that they will be continually in prayer and the ministry of the word. Now this word, continually, in the Greek, it means constantly diligent. Like every day, always in it, constantly diligent, always in it. You know, like how we are with Facebook? Huh? How we are with texting, emails, video games, working out? That's me. Constantly diligent, you know? And this hurts. You see this and you go, wow, wow, ouch, man. What are you, dude, slow your roll. What are you, what are you, man, you're making me feel bad over here. I'm not hurting anybody. By doing all of this stuff. Yeah, you are. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your walk. If these things are taking precedence over prayer and the word of God, yes, you are. Yes, I am. When I say you, I mean me. Constantly diligent. I love that. What a beautiful example to us. And the apostles are clearly making their position known in all of this. So there are no questions or doubts. They're laying on, okay, guys, this is what we're going to be doing during this time. So that the body can't say, oh, what are they doing? You know, we're doing all the work. We're picking these seven men. They're just over there doing whatever. That's not what's going on. The leadership is communicating to the body. Verse 5, and the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, which means a foreigner who was converted from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So through the Holy Spirit, the instructions in which the apostles gave, it pleased the whole multitude. Everyone was happy with it. They were like, cool, we love it. And the church body chose these seven men. I love the fact that they have Grecian or Gentile names. If you look at the seven names that are mentioned here, indicating their cultural background. Because it shows the compassion and the love of the entire church body, doesn't it? They were sensitive to what was going on. Because who was, being, who was feeling left out? Who was being upset? Who, who felt like they were getting a short end of the stick? It was the Hellenists. It was the Hellenists, the Greek. And it just shows the sensitivity of the church body by saying, okay, let's pick these guys. Let's pick these guys. The seven were brought before the apostles And the apostles prayed and laid hands on them. Prayed and laid hands on them. Now, in verse 4, and here in verse 6, prayer was the first thing the apostles did in both circumstances. It says that. Prayer was the first thing that they did in both circumstances. So what does that say to us as believers? 
What place does prayer have in our walk with Christ individually and as a church body? You know, it's no coincidence that in the announcements this morning, prayer was brought up as far as our meeting that we meet here every Sunday and we pray over the body. It is a critical part of our walk and growth in Christ. You look at the example of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In John 17, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for the believers that would come. He gives us an example in Matthew chapter 6 that we know is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed. You see, when we pray, it shows humility and it shows dependence. It's saying, you know what, God, you're God. I'm a sinful creature. I'm a sinful man. It humbles yourself before him because you're in awe, you're in reverence of who he is, and you acknowledge that, and you depend on him, and you say, I can't do anything without you. I can't. I really can't. It keeps us focused on God as well. Let me ask you guys a question, a little challenge here. One of these days during this week, at the top of every hour when you're awake, Pray. Set a little alarm. Wristwatch or something, your phone. Just pray. I tell you what, it'll change your life. Because all you're going to be doing is focusing on God. You will. Because you know what, if you're somewhere you're not supposed to, or you're in a conversation that you're not supposed to be a part of, and your little alarm goes off, and you, oh, I, gotta, I guarantee you'll stop or you'll leave wherever you're at that you're not supposed to be. Keeps us focused on God. It also draws us close to Him. And He to us. It's that communication. It's where we can cry, Abba, Father, Dad, I love you, I need you. And that's what He wants to hear. Through prayer and supplication, it says, we come to Him. He knows our needs, but He wants to hear us. He does. He wants us to express our hearts. Wives. Wives in this body. Let me ask you guys a question. What if your husband, the only time he talked to you, and this could go on for days, weeks, he doesn't talk to you, but the only time he ever talks to you is to ask you, baby, massage my feet. How would that make you feel? Would you feel loved? Would you feel that there's a connection there? Would you? No? Why? Because communication There's no line of communication there. There's no expressing of the heart to know one another. I pray that we get on our knees and be a church of prayer. Verse 7, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So the problem here was corrected and the church continued to grow as a direct result of the word of God being preached by the apostles that they fully committed to. See, fruit coming from that decision. And fruit will always come from the decisions that God makes and in his will. It says, even a great many of the priests became saved. Now, there are some sources that say there were anywhere between ten to 20,000 priests at this time. That's a lot of priests. And these were the same people who crucified our Jesus. These are the same people who just beat down the apostles and threatened them. 
And it says that they were saved. And this is just a beautiful reminder that God can save anybody. He really can. Look at me. I'm a chief of sinners. He can save anybody. If you're praying for somebody, if you're praying for a family member or a loved one, and you're just like, you know what, I'm not seeing anything. You're getting frustrated. You feel like quitting. Don't. 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 God can change anybody. He can. Be faithful in that. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So up until this point, only the apostles we read did great wonders, great signs. And now we read a servant of tables is now doing these things. That's so awesome. Man, God can do mighty things. All we have to do is be obedient. Amen. God, you lead. I follow. What do you want me to do? Oh, no, 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 God. You got the wrong person. And that's who we, no, 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 he doesn't. He knows what he's getting. He knows what he's getting. He said, hey, just trust in me. Just trust in me. Every ministry in the church body is important. Believers are called to serve within the body. We are. We are all called to serve in one capacity or another. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And Stephen was faithful right where God put him and he was blessed. Faithful in little, I'm going to bless you with much. Faithful in little, I'm going to bless you in much. And that's what we see right here with Stephen. So where has God placed you? To serve, to work, to live, people to talk to. Are you being faithful to where, has, where he has placed you? Whether it be for a season right now? We don't know. Are you being faithful? Look at me in verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Now, the synagogue of the freedmen, they were Greek-speaking Jewish religious leaders. And they were freed slaves of war, or they were descendants of, hence their name. And now Stephen is amongst them, and he's disputing. No doubt he's arguing with them about the Word of God. He's trying to tell them, okay, guys, you got it all backwards here. Jesus is the Messiah. Stephen is shining his light, making disciples of all. Oh, excuse me, of all nations where God has put him. He's being faithful where God has placed him outside of the church because he's out there sharing the word of God, shining his light, being salt. That's what Stephen is doing. Faithful in all arenas of his life. There's an interesting thought here. There's a good chance that Saul, who was later converted to Paul, that we know him as Paul, was one of these men who were disputing with Stephen. And the reason why is that in Acts Chapter 21, verse 39, Paul states that he is a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, which was mentioned here in verse 9. And you know, it leads me to believe and to think about if Paul was there at that time, 
Disputing with Stephen, man, I tell you what, Stephen impacted his life. Stephen probably planted a seed in his heart that he wrestled with all the way up until the point he was converted from Saul to Paul. What if it's just one person that God wants you to impact? That's it. That's your calling. I just want you to touch this person. And that person turns out to be a Chuck Smith or Billy Graham or Paul. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. Verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. You know, you ever speak to someone who had an answer for everything? You know, parents, you know, I'm not talking about you teenage kids that have an answer for everything. Kidding. Love you guys. Group hug after this. Not only an answer for everything, but their answer blew your point out of the water, man. You feel useless and defeated, and that's what, that's what they're feeling right now. Here's this guy, Stephen, table server. Wait, I'm sorry, who are you again? Where'd you come from? And, and Stephen's disputing with them, and they have no comeback. They can't say anything. You know, and Stephen didn't go to seminary school. He didn't have all these letters after his name, PhD, PC, whatever. He didn't have that. It's beautiful to see that what he did have was that he was a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Man, when you're in God's will, he'll move mountains. Amen. Verse 11, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Does this picture look familiar? Does this scene sound familiar? This is the same tactic that they used against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, before they crucified him. Lies. False witnesses. Secretive actions. Illegal arrest. Stirring up the people. All these bad things. And here they are again doing it to Stephen, who is a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. That's his charge. That's his charge. Verse 15, And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. And so while all this commotion is going on, the eyes of the council become fixed on him steadfastly. This is the same word that um, Peter, uh, Peter and John when they healed the layman in front of the temple, their eyes fixed, steadfastly fixed. And so everyone was just looking at Stephen. It was fixed upon him because they saw his face as the face of an angel. Angel. Pastor uh, Joe Foch from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. If you ever get a chance to listen to him on Blue Little Bible, please do. That, I mean, all those men are anointed. Um, he's one of my favorites. Anyway, he tells of a story of his wife. And what happened was, when the wife was attending Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, where Pastor Chuck was, she brought a friend to one of the services. 
And so in the middle of the service, the friend pops up, runs out the door. And the wife is like, oh, what happened? And so she follows her and goes outside. And the friend is crying and just friend. And the wife was like, what's the matter? And she tells her, I just saw two huge, large angels with their swords drawn standing behind Pastor Chuck. They're real. If they're real, that makes God real. You want a good book on angels? Read the one written by Billy Graham. Awesome book. Awesome book. And through all of this, Stephen remains quiet. No doubt filled with the Holy Spirit, glowing like an angel because he is in God's perfect will. You know, in life, when everything is going on around us and it just seems like, man, God, you got to help me. I'm sinking. I'm sinking fast. If we remember to keep our eyes fixed upon him and that we are in his will, that we know, that we know, that we know, it's all good. It's all good. Let the storm come. Let it come. Because it will just strengthen our walk with him. Maybe that's what it's there for. Maybe that's what you're going through right now today. You're like, man, I am suffering. I am sinking fast. You, you need to help me. Oh, be still and know that he is God. He's going to carry you through. I can attest to that. He will. He'll bring you through. But we just need to keep our eyes fixed upon him. And that peace that Stephen is, right, feeling and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, where his face is the face of an angel, that is the same peace today that God gives to us. It is. This isn't just some fairy tale. This is true. This is real. As we continue later on chapter 7, we'll read about Stephen. And he's going to preach one of the or the longest sermon, actually, in the book of Acts recorded in front of this council. Stephen, servant of tables, who was a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And God took that, and look, look how beautiful this man's life So to recap, we read about the early church dealing with the serious problem that occurred within the body. We read about how the apostles, the leaders of the church, who were led by the Holy Spirit, addressed and corrected the problem. We talked about the importance of prayer in our everyday life, individually and corporately as a church body. And how Stephen was obedient to the Lord in service in the church body and living for him outside of the church body in his own personal walk in closing let me ask you this where has God placed you where has God placed me and what are you doing about it what are you doing about it are you on the fence right now man God I really don't know you know I just uh, man let go let God he wants to use you let him use you Let him use you wherever you're at. He loves you more than you can ever know. Just surrender. Let go. Give it to him. Spar heads in prayer. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, God, that you love us. 
Thank you, God, that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, Lord, no, no matter what we're doing right now, God, you love us. And you want us to reach out and cry to you and come to you in total obedience, Lord. To let go of everything that's going on around us and keep our eyes fixed upon you and say your will be done. Father, that is our prayer right now, God. Your will be done in each and every one of our lives and in this church body. Lord, be glorified, Heavenly Father. Be glorified. Thank you, God, for this time. Lord, the freedom that we have to come and learn from your word. Thank you, Jesus, we pray. Amen.